welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. This is your destination for conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual prizes, as well as discussions with book lovers from across the country. My guest for this episode is the Honorable Angelique Bernard, the Commissioner of the Yukon, and here's the Commissioner to introduce herself. Hi, I am Angelique Bernard. I'm the Commissioner of Yukon, and I'm coming to you from Whitehorse, Yukon, on the traditional territories of the Kwanandan First Nation and the Town Kwachan Council. The Commissioner and I talked about how the Borealis Prize got started and what makes it so unique, along with what her favorite books were growing up. Here is my conversation with the Honorable Angelique Bernard. If you could be a character from any book, who would you be and why? I thought about that one and I was listening to your podcast with Eva Holland and that's the one of the questions. So I was thinking about that and I think I would go with Miss Marple from the Agatha Christie series because I love murder mystery books and I've started reading Agatha Christie when I was young after all the Nancy Drew. <laughs> and uh, I love how she just sits there She's silent, but efficient, right? She'll sit, she'll observe, take notes. Everyone's a bit weary of her. They don't really know what to do with her because she's this old, gentle lady, but she's so intelligent and bright. And then when she gathers everyone at the end to tell how she sees it, and it's always spot on. So yeah, I think that's what I would be. Silent, observing, and just coming up with ideas and revealing the truth at the end. Did you like the TV adaptation of the Miss Marple stuff? I did. I did. Yeah. It's, and it's actually interesting to have read the book and then there's been different actresses playing Miss Marple and they all bring something different to the character. But yes, it's been, yeah, I've loved every time it's been on even uh, Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple, anything with Agatha Christie. I just like her, her writing and of all the books, I was able to figure it out once. Who was the killer? <laughs> She's good at that, <laughs> at, hide, at hiding it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, that one was a dog. And it was twin sisters. And the dog was reacting differently to this woman who was supposed the other sister. So I'm like, okay, there's something there. So I got that one. But all the other ones were like, oh, I did not see that one coming. So that's great in books. Right? You get involved in a book and then... It goes this way, but then it goes that way and ends up there. And yeah, it's, it's just great. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Well, I have a similar question, but a bit different. But I'm wondering what one of your favorite books as a kid would have been and, and why it stood out to you. I know you just mentioned Nancy Drew, but maybe there was something before. Actually, uh, I would have to say Nancy Drew. And it's interesting because I started reading, reading them in French. And in French, it was under the name Alice. And so I'm like, oh, and then, so I've read all this series in French. And then I started reading in English. And then Cidru, I'm like, wait, that sounds familiar. <laughs> so it's Alice was the translation in French of Nancy Drew. So I'm like, yeah, again, just the mystery aspect of it and having younger kids trying to working together and solving the mystery uh, has always attracted me. And I know that the writer, which is actually not a person but it's it's a group of 
authors for those books. They also wrote a series of books about, I think it's two sisters going to boarding school. And it's the same kind of idea of murder mysteries. And so, yeah, I would have to say the Nancy Drew series was, was the first big books that I read. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask if maybe you would uh, talk a little bit about what your role as, what does it mean to be the commissioner of the Yukon for those who aren't familiar with that, that title? Yes, the commissioner of Yukon is the head of state of the territory, and it's a similar role to the lieutenant governors in the provinces. So I, uh, I, I sent two bills in the legislative assembly. I dissolved the legislature that uh, calls for elections. So after the elections, I swear in the members of the legislative assembly and the cabinet and the premier. And I get to sign a lot of documents, all the ordering councils. So that's more of the legislative part. And basically, it comes down to the commissioner is has to make sure that the territory always has a premier. So if something were to happen to the premier, then I would step in and follow the procedure. So that's the big uh, part. And the big part of my job, which I would say is about 80%, is the social part. So attending events, representing the Yukon, handing out awards, being there as a ambassador for, for the Yukon. So when members of the royal family come to visit the Yukon, they will come to the office of the commissioner first. Same with ambassadors, council general. And I have to say in the last 20 months, that's part of my job has been on the low side, let's say. <laughs> but it's good with Zoom and we're still able to contact, to have contacts like that. But it doesn't bring back the face-to-face social aspect of it. Yeah. And you were appointed in, was it 2017? March 2018. 2018, okay. It's uh, for, they say, a term of no less than five years. So for sure, five years, and then it depends on the prime minister for extending the mandate or going with someone else. But I'm in it for sure until March of 2023. And can you talk a little bit about how that how you became commissioner and why that was a role you were interested in? It's funny because when I was appointed, a lot of people say, congratulations, I didn't know you had applied for it. I said, neither did I, because it's not a <laughs> that you apply for it's a nomination so I got a call from the secretary of the director of appointments at the prime minister's office in Ottawa saying if I asking if I was available for a phone call the next day and I said yes do I have to prepare anything she said no just we'll call you tomorrow but in the meantime I did my research and I knew that there was the position of commissioner was open there was a seat on the senate and also maybe because I did a lot of volunteer work with the Francophone community, I thought maybe a seat on a parliamentary committee on official languages. So when they called the next day and said, we got your name for possible commissioner, would you let it stand? And I said, sure, because when I was president of the Francophone Association, I went to quite a bit of events where the commissioner was there and I was able to see what my predecessor did. And yeah, just being able to represent the Yukon and highlight the wonderful people we have in the territory. That kind of, <clears throat> at first it's like, oh, okay. And then <laughs> I thought about it. I was like, yes, it's something that I, I think in my career, I'm at the point where I could do that. 
And it's interesting because this position historically has been offered to people more at the end of their careers as a thank you for the work they've done. I was appointed at 45 years of age, which is a bit, well, not for the Yukon, it's not really young, but if you compare with the rest of Canada, it kind of is. But I think I bring this um, other aspect to the role. I'm also a mom of two boys, 12 and 10. So having the family aspect of it and bringing in my my uh, pillars of education, family, civic pride, and creativity to the role. We were able to do a lot of programs, interesting programs around those pillars. And I was at the yeah, uh, at a point where I said I could give back to my community because I've been uh, in the Yukon for almost 27 years now. Came up for a four-month work term, fell in love with the place, and decided to come back here after my study. So it's home now, and I was ready to get back to the Yukon. Seems like a lot of people come for a visit or a short stay and then end up living in the Yukon. It is, it is. And the North, I think in general, is either you like it or you don't. And if you like it, you love it. And if you don't, you come maybe for your two-year contract and then you leave. But that's what makes it great. And there's a change, too, with because before a lot of the students would leave the Yukon because we now we, we have a university with a few uh, bachelor's degree, but in the past people had to leave to do their studies and, or to continue post-secondary studies and they would end up staying. So then the parents would leave the Yukon to go see their grandkids. But now a lot of those students end up coming back to the Yukon. So the parents are staying and we're seeing the third generation of Yukoners, which is great to see. Yeah. I know that um, literacy and supporting the literary community are a really important part of your role. I wondered if you could talk about why you decided to focus on those. As I mentioned, reading for me was one of the best things that could happen. I remember uh, in grade one, we had the... Jack and Jill stories in French was Leo et Léa. And as soon as I was able to read that, I would read anything. I would read the newspapers upside down and when other people were reading them. And it's just a way of, um, and I have a translation degree. So I studied in the French studies program. So literature has always been a part. And I just think that literacy opens so many doors and education is at the heart of who we are. And I was, I, I wanted to bring that as one of my pillars as commissioner. And so one of the things that we've done with your office, of course, is creating the Borealis Prize and we'll be presenting the third Borealis Prize in 2022. And, uh, how did the prize start and why was that something that your office wanted to support? It actually started in, I would say, June of 2019 when uh, Sean, uh, Sean Cranberry, who was the executive director of the BC and Yukon Book Prices at the time, he had just started in the position and had come to the Yukon for the publishing and print festival in Dawson City. And I was there that weekend for our commissioner's tea and ball. And there was a pres- uh, presentation by Lawrence Hill the Friday night and I went and then Sean Cranberry came and, and introduced Mr. Hill. But before he said, yes, I'm new in the position and I would really like to put the Yukon back in the BC and Yukon book prices. 
And I, I, I knew that my colleague in, B, in BC, her honor, Janet Austin, was also looking at restarting the BC Book Prize, Lieutenant Governor. So after the, Mr. Hale's presentation, I went and introduced myself to Mr. Cranberry and said, I'm the commissioner, education, literacy are part of my pillar, I, and I think we can work together. And then we, we started discussing it in the fall, and we came up with the Borealis Prize of recognizing the wonderful writers, uh, publishers, editors. And what is special with the Borealis Prize, it, it, it also recognizes volunteers because a lot of activities are happening because of volunteers. And sometimes most of them work in the background and they don't necessarily want to get recognized. But if someone has spent a lot of time helping out at the community events, this Borealis Prize is also a way of recognizing these people that do so much for our activities. Yeah. What do you think it means for the, the literary community in the Yukon to have the Borealis Prize now? I think it's a great way of recognizing the wonderful artists, the the wonderful word artists that we have in the Yukon. And it's just, yeah, I mean, we, uh, we've handed out two prizes, prizes now, and it's just amazing to see how touched the recipients are because they do, they write for themselves and for their community and they help out in the writing community. And I think it's also good to see that there's the new uh, organization, Yukon Words, that have gone in together to promote word artists. So I think it, it, it has started a movement of celebrating and highlighting people that work in the literary arts. I think something that I've found really interesting in having conversations with um, folks at Yukon Words, but also the authors who've been involved in the prizes in the last uh, couple of years is there seems to be an interesting take on on storytelling and word arts like I loved when when Yukon Word talk talks about word arts because I think that's something we need to talk about more um and the tradition of oral storytelling and and that sort of thing and I know that you also support the Yukon uh, Story Laureate Prize and I wondered if you could talk about that a bit as well Yes, and it's interesting because we had those discussions and actually I would think the hardest part of that Story Laureate program was finding the word, finding how to call it because it's not just the written part. It's, it's important, but especially in the North with the First Nations, there's the whole oral history part of it that is important. So that's why we came up with the Story Laureate and not just the written word or and it's really that person is an is an ambassador of the literary word storytelling, and just um, it's a bit hard with COVID right now because we've had planned for that person to travel across the territory and attend at least one national event to talk about the Yukon and the literary word world in the Yukon. But we've had that person. It's Michael Gates. He's a uh, local historian and author so he's been attending some of the commissioners of Yukon events and just writing about that how do you hope to see the two prizes evolve over time um as I, I think it's interesting because they're they seem to be new and they're gathering kind of steam as every year uh goes on but how do you see them growing uh in in the future I see them as the um, 
like the jury would not know what to do with all of these nominations coming in. That's my hope. And I think just uh, picking up steam and really having people, my, my hope is that some people that work in the background come out of their shell and get nominated or apply for these positions, especially the story laureate of Yukon, because there's lots of people that we don't know about that are doing their own little thing and they don't necessarily want to be part of a big group, but are also doing great work. So hopefully the, Bor- the Borealis Prize and the Story Laure- Laureate of Yukon will help us to find these people. There's a great expression that a former commissioner said. It's like a lot of people do good deeds and we just need to lift up the rock and look under and we will see that. And I think that's such a great image for all the volunteer work that people do in the background. They, they don't want to talk too much about it. But once you lift that rock and you see what they have done, then it's a way of recognizing them. What inspires you the most about storytelling and writing from the Yukon? The, the depth of what we see, the stories that are being told. Um, it's The Yukon is a great way for emerging artists to just come up with all the um, open mic. People can just come and there was a program a few years ago, Brave New Work where people could just come up and I'm working on this. What do you think? So there's really that opening of uh, people exchanging, giving positive comments on how to improve. And yeah, it's just the, um, the imagination. I think nature has something to do with it. Just being out in nature and being, being able to write about what, you know, what you're living. I think it's great. It it always, um, amazes me how you know people are quite spread out in Yukon um I remember I I know Tara Boren uh, well and they were saying that they were going to Whitehorse for something and I in my mind it wasn't that far apart but Dawson and Whitehorse are really far apart so I'm always amazed by the the just how close the community seems in Yukon, despite the writing community, especially despite how far apart people might be. Mm-hmm. Yes, Whitehorse is about, and Dawson are about six hours apart. So yeah, it's not just a little stroll down the highway. And I think um, the use of social media has really helped with that. And just kind of reaching out. I know at the first uh, AGM of the, Yukon Word Society, the president was in Haines Junction. We had people in Dawson, people in Whitehorse. And it, yeah, so I think having, using more of the technology to, to, to bring people together. And I know too, a lot of, um, and we were, I think the Yukon work with your organization in the past is when authors are coming to BC, Yukon is only, the Yukon is only two hours and 15 minutes by plane. So it's easy to bring authors up north for a northern tour so continuing to use those contacts that we have with bc to get the more people up exposure to more creative process and writers and there's such interesting opportunities in dawson that people have been of course taking event and not just dawson but 
all of UConn for so long, such as the print and publishing festival that you mentioned and the Pierre Burton House. Um, and so I think there's just, it seems like UConn's kind of bursting with all this creative energy and only maybe it's taken a while for people to, to get past the gold rush stories and see <laughs> how there's so much more going on. Yeah, yeah. And I know at the government level too, uh 2023 is coming up so it's the 125th anniversary of the entry of you of the yukon into confederation but also the 125th anniversary of the gold rush so how do we combine the two knowing that the gold rush was a time of disturbance for the first nations right all these people came in and moved them out of their land so but i think there's been a lot of work done in the last 10 years on how to reconcile yes the gold rush is what made the Yukon famous, but there were people living in the Yukon before the First Nations. So through stories, storytelling, how do we bring back those stories to the forefront? And it's really great to see some of the First Nations, their heritage department working on bringing back those stories. Mm -hmm. And the Trondick Witchen and Dawson just wrote a series of uh, children's books in Han, in the Han language with the elder from there. And I think this is just great. It's a great way. I think children's books are a great way to bring stories to not just the children, but the parents and the grandparents that read it. Well, and of course, there was the beautiful Quanlin Dunn book, which won the Roderick Haig Brown Regional Prize this year, too. Yeah, yeah. And it was great to see that Eva Holland was in nomination, too, for the one of the books. Yeah, so I think it's... Uh, and we've got, of course, Ivan Coyote, who won an award last year, and they've had won different awards over the years. So it's great to see that, yes, our little territory might be small in numbers, but it's big in, in, uh, in, in heart, in imagination, in what people can do. And I think the Borealis Prize is exciting that way, too, because it also highlights other other creative folks, other writers and storytellers who... Um, may not be known out largely outside of Yukon. And, and it was so great to get to know Patty and Leonard, who I didn't know and got to know through the prize. And um, Joanna's work is so beautiful, too. So it's it seems like every year we're going to get to know more and more of, of the great work that's being written and created, and not just published, too. I think that's what's so exciting about the Story Laureate is um, I think we need to be not just focusing on the published stories, but also the ones that are being told and recorded and maybe not being put down on paper. Yes, and that's what, too, when we were having discussions, as you mentioned, it's not just people who have printed books, but it's people who come out to the uh, open night mic that want to tell their stories and that might not want to be published or don't know how to. So kind of having those connections to someone who, yes, has been published, someone who's starting. So try to make really a synergy of people is how we see it too. What are you excited about in your office as far as literacy and literary work for the new year? We, uh, I'm happy to say that uh, we launched in October, we launched a reference library on our second floor so we have now more than 215 books on the Yukon history, First Nations, women, uh, the crown, 
history of Canada, and it's for people to come in to Taylor House and read the books on site. So any um, university student, high school student doing a, a paper on the Yukon history. And uh, we've also um, updated our wall of trend, uh, our, our wall of commissioners. So we have the 35 commissioners since 1894. So we've made bi uh, biographies and we have binders of information. And we also unveiled our wall of translation last year. And we asked the First Nation to translate commissioner of Yukon in their indigenous languages, which was an interesting process. I'm a translator by trade and we have French and English that translates very well. But what we figured out and what the First Nations were telling us is that there's no direct translation for commissioner of Yukon in, in indigenous languages. So it's basically a description of how they see my role which was great because for some of them is big chief of government for others is the person who speaks for us. So it was interesting to see. And we have seven of the eight languages. We're missing one because we're, we found out that there's less and less speaker of that language or the people that do speak it don't feel comfortable translating it for us. So we're still have some, we still have some uh, names of people that we could ask, but, it's great to have on our second floor as you walk up the stairs, the wall is there with our coat of arms and then the different languages. And it's a way, again, of recognizing the First Nations that have inhabited the Yukon for all these years. Thanks to the Honorable Angelique Bernard, the Commissioner of the Yukon, for being on the podcast. If you want to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website, bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we share news about the winners and finalists, as well as information about upcoming events. Next week on Riding the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Rob Bittner. Rob is the president of the board for the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as an LGBTQ plus youth literature specialist and many other things which we'll talk about on the episode. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.